Hey everybody, this is Al Nash from the Unapologetic Women Empowerment Dynasty and you're listening to the Unapologetic Women podcast, the show for women who choose to live their legacies, unleashed, unlimited and unapologetic. If this is a space you're curious about, visit unapologetic-women.com. Today, we're talking about overcoming trauma with Melissa DeVar. Melissa is a final year master of architecture student at the University of Cambridge, Queen's College. Her academic studies are related to the field of technology and finance in relation to our built environment. Outside of her studies and career, she is involved with the Cambridge TEDx Society and Curis, which is the Real Estate Investment Society. She has also worked on a number of startup projects and businesses, one of which includes her own personal brand, which has been featured in Vogue, Elle and New York Times. In 2022, she competed and led a team in the Heinz Student Real Estate Competition, where she explored the urban significance of the Centre Pompidou. In 2021, she was selected as one of 20 women to compete in the finals of Miss Universe Great Britain, where she used her voice to raise awareness of several philanthropic initiatives. She has again been selected to do the Miss Universe Great Britain finals this year, but as you've heard, she has opted out of this decision. You want to listen to the episode to find out why. She's also competed in a number of half marathons for various courses. Her last half marathon was in Paris in 2022. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the incredible Melissa. get started yes let's do it let's do it (laughs) (laughs) it's so cool to to have somebody so enthusiastic about getting started with a podcast (laughs) because I have my matcha latte with me I'm like because it's 10 p.m here I'm like I need to be alert and matcha does that (laughs) it keeps you awake or it keeps you alert 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 without keeping you awake afterwards yeah it's not like coffee at all it's very like sustained like alertness is what I would say (laughs) well for me anyway maybe it's different for other people but I'm leaving this piece into the podcast for all my other caffeine loving coffee drinkers (laughs) (laughs) there's an alternative for us at night time because (laughs) I'm being more disciplined with my my coffee intake which is a passion of mine I'm even thinking (laughs) of getting an unapologetic woman coffee made (laughs) because why not um, I <laughs> needs to go on the list. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being up at 10 o'clock at night on a podcast. Truly <laughs> appreciate it. No worries at all. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. So it's interesting for me because when this podcast started, it was really aimed at a more mature demographic Mm -hmm. women coming on because it's about sharing wisdom it's about sharing our experiences what we've learned along the way um to inspire other women 40 50 60 70 year old to kind of go oh yeah we have a valuable part to play in society Mm -hmm. and then I started meeting incredible young women such as you and I thought damn we have a lot to learn from you not mm-hmm. taking away from, I do believe that older women need to start speaking out more, need to share their wisdom more for younger women. But it really is a symbiotic relationship between women that's required at the moment. Mm-hmm. 
So let's start with a question that I always start with and allow your story to unfold through the answer. Okay. What does it mean to you at the beautiful age of how old are you now? Just turned 26. <laughs> I feel strange saying that because I was at 25 only two weeks ago. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank wow. you. At the gorgeous age of 26, I have to really think back what it felt like to be 26. <laughs> what does it mean for you to be an unapologetic woman? Hmm. I think there are two two elements to this. I think for me, firstly, is to be fearless. Um, and the second is to be bold. And I think they kind of interlink and tie in with each other. But I think they're two things that are hard to do in our age. And even as, well, young and old, I think it could be hard to be fearless and to be bold. Mm. Um, but there are many things I could have said. But I feel like those, those are the two that came to my mind. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by fearless? I think for me, feel a woman that is fearless is someone who is unafraid to be herself and is unafraid to share her views to other people um, and is unafraid to say or call out when things are wrong in her, in her opinion or um, will fight for what is right and what is just. Um, and in terms of being then bold, that ties into the element of like raising your voice, sharing your story stepping out and inspiring other people I wrote a blog a couple of years ago about the silence of the feminine and how I believe this is the time when we get to reclaim our voices to invite the masculine back to heart instead of being so much in head and so when you talk about us being fearless in terms of us reclaiming our voices unafraid to share our view, to share our story, to share our values and what's important to us. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of the fact that right now, so many women are still terrified of speaking up because of the judgment, because we, mm -hmm. we on the one hand, talk about having an inclusive society of everybody and everybody's views, as long as that's is in harmony with the crowd who wants the inclusive society. Mm. And I'm kind of wondering, what do you think is the reason why people have become so unappreciative of diversity, unappreciative of us all having our own values and, and thoughts and opinions and voices that's created this culture of fear that we see everywhere mm. in the world? Mm, I think gosh it's a big question I think some I think some of it has to stem from um to some degree saying something that wouldn't upset someone else I think that is definitely happening a lot in our culture in that you know there are all these political views all these um kind of almost belief systems and people believe in this people believe in that and you don't want to say something that upsets someone so I think some of that can stem from that and um, that then suppresses other people's voices and opinions um, I think I remember actually that being the case during kind of COVID you know um, I think there were a lot of people that had certain opinions about um, you know not wanting to take a vaccine and then other people that did want to take it and then other people's voices were kind of shut out 
Um, and that has kind of, to some degree, been a history of humankind, if you know what I mean, where people have had opinions, but certain things have been in place where other minorities have not been able to share that. And as well, it's very prevalent in third world countries where women in particular are not able to kind of share their views or they're not able to have an education or what. Yeah. So there are things that I think we definitely need to work through and have, I think, I think for me, the problem stems from in trying to be more kind of per se inclusive, we've actually probably become less. <laughs> so in trying to reach a kind of perfect system um, where everyone is kind of included, we've kind of actually excluded a lot of people's voices. <laughs> and personally, um, I'm all for exclusivity. And, and here's why. I believe that we have a huge world with space for everybody. And I do feel that we all get to have a place in the sun, but we don't mm. all have to be inclusive. I think that there's a there's confusion that comes in when we start using the word inclusive, inclusive culture, in that it means that um, we have to tolerate, accept, make okay the values mm. of other people instead of going, oh, no, no, you get to have your values and I get to have my values. We get to mm. respect each other for as human beings, but we don't have to agree and we don't have to all be happy about everybody else's values and lifestyle choices and, and all those things, right? We get to go, you do you, boo, and I get to do me. And we all get to live in this beautiful world and, and co-create a magnificent experience. And I feel like that's where the confusion has come in, especially in modern day. And so it's interesting for me to observe this. But now this is what I want to ask. Yes. For a woman to come on and say, well, unapologetic is about being fearless and bold and using your voice at the age of 26 tells me, and I have the unfair mm -hmm. advantage of, I do know some of your story, but it tells me this woman has lived some stuff. Like there's no ways that you become this confident, this certain, and this unapologetic by the age of 26. Unless something, unless life has gifted you with some fire. Let's put it Special that genetics. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we could say that. <laughs> that's just what I say to everyone no I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah. Um, so with Grace would you share some of your story with our listeners of well what what did Melissa live that got her to take a stance for being an unapologetic woman at such a young age absolutely it's it's always lovely hearing other people's perspectives of your story and things that you've been through because I think like the first time we spoke um it's something like my life story is just my life story and whenever I kind of share it and or whenever I've been to events or I've kind of been talking about it, people are like whoa like hang on this is like actually something really special but whenever I've viewed I'm like oh yeah it's just another thing you know um so I don't kind of tend to kind of put a and then when I think of my age as well I don't tend to kind of mix the two and two together but it's always really nice to like hear um someone else's perspective so thank you for being so kind but um I guess um we can kind of start from the beginning so a little bit about me I um was born in London to um to a British dad and a mother who is from Turkey and my 
family at a very young age moved to the Middle East. Um, and I guess you could say that um, growing up was, I think, in general, quite a turbulent time. Um, my mother had quite severe kind of mental health problems, which essentially meant that she <clears throat> was quite violent and essentially wreaked kind of havoc in the household really it was always kind of very turbulent there was never kind of a stable environment I think growing up um there's kind of one minute I'm at school the next minute I'm at home and there's police over and there's arguments kind of between my mom and my dad and you know it eventually reached a point where the situation got so bad that you know my dad had to divorce and separate um, from my mother because she was, you know, calling the police on him, saying that he was doing this, accusing him of kind of ridiculous things when actually she was cheating um, behind his back, um, which we later found out. So um, from that point, it, it, you know, I had in general growing up a very close relationship with my dad. I, I, would, I would say, you know, we were like this close and we had a very special relationship. So I think to some degree, it was a, a very tricky decision that my dad eventually had to come back to the UK to protect his health. And he was, you know, probably close to going to prison out in Dubai because of the accusations my mom was making. And it's quite interesting, actually, as a, um, the, as a British man in the, that, in that kind of area at the time he didn't have many rights um and my mom was Turkish and she had more rights than he did so she automatically had the the legal advantage um and even during kind of the court proceedings that initially took place out in the Middle East um there was an automatic advantage towards her even though I was saying that I want to be with my dad my mom is like doing all these things she's abusive I don't want to like be with her so it was definitely a very tricky time when he had to leave and we suspected that my mom might do something like she could you know take me away or we had that suspicion so actually before my dad left he left um like a secret telephone mm -hmm. um in like in my teddy bear and he said to me if anything like happens like insane just ring this number on here and then he also left like a little prayer with me uh, which was actually the Lord's Prayer um, and th those two things were like the only things that were left and then he had to go um, and lo and behold of course um, something did happen my mom essentially kidnapped me in the Middle East and I was taken around kind of I would say uh, two or three different flats um, in Middle East whilst my dad went to the UK then came back to try and find me again and then in those kind of flats I wasn't allowed to go to school I had was allowed to go see friends I was basically kind of like confined essentially you know my freedom was taken away from me um I couldn't have access to things that I would have loved to or any child that you know would have had so I think um it was a very very I would say I think dark time and this was at the age of eight as well so definitely very very young and I think from that time you have to it's amazing what the human mind can do because you know, you think an eight-year-old child can't do very much, right? But I was able to know that I had a secret telephone. I was able to keep track of where I was. I was able to, you know, be very alert as to what my mom was doing, reporting that to my dad, taking photos of things. So I, I was like, maybe it was just me. Maybe I was just like insanely clever, but I just knew that I had to do these things and that would get me eventual freedom. 
but around that unfortunately my dad did not leave a charger <laughs> so I ended up losing charge of my phone and there was kind of a six-month period of my dad uh, I lost contact with my dad and I was taken to another flat and actually when we were out with my mom one time I saw that there was a charger that someone was using which was the same as my my one so when my mom was looking I used that charger so there was that those kind of moments of kind of I would say light bulb moments where you know you just would not expect that from an eight-year-old child um and anyway yeah during those kind of that period of staying in these different flats I was essentially physically abused I was beaten up whenever I said you know I wanted to see my dad or my friends that was not allowed it was my mum's way or no way at all um which as you can imagine the the mental cost of that eventually I think does get to you and you know however kind of you could say bold I wasn't trying to you know tell my dad where I was it did eventually reach a point where I nearly actually gave up and tried to commit suicide um and that was an extremely hard thing and kind of almost standing there at like the building edge I um honestly felt like a like I would say heavenly intervention to stop me from like falling down and I wouldn't say I grew up kind of religious or anything but during this time I just prayed prayed to a god and I was like just if something exists in the world please help me you know I need I need your help I need like freedom from this um but yeah anyway so from that point I thank god I didn't jump <laughs> so otherwise I would be here today um so um, though because I think that it's really important for people to understand you know as somebody who was who sat with the pills there's something in, extraordinary that happens when we choose not to die there's something extraordinary that happens when we choose not to die and I'm not saying choose to live right it's choosing not to die and I don't know if this is the same for you but it was a it was a conscious choice of I am staying on this plane like and if I'm going to stay on this plane I'm going to be unavailable for certain things that got me to this point in the first place and not that my life changed externally like overnight but it, it's a choice that gets a decision that gets made to not die, which is so powerful. So if anybody is listening today, because this is such a, you know, you're rattling through your story quite quickly. And I'm very conscious that it's a very um, hard knocking story for, for women who maybe are sitting there today listening and going, holy shit, you know, I'm finding myself not in the same circumstances, but the same sensations that's like resonating in my body for me. Mm. There's something really beautiful and powerful when a woman chooses not to die. And yeah. I'm kind of hoping that's a choice that more women are going to start making, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual death mm. that they're staring mm. in the face right now yeah it's it's well yeah it it is a, a conscious choice and it's a tough one because to some degree the the easy thing would be to do that right the easy thing would be that okay this thing is so hard um then I'm just gonna give up yeah. but the beautiful thing is that you can always choose never to give up and you can choose to fight and that's what happened so you know obviously um to some degree that 
you know, my case, maybe I might not have been rescued. Um, maybe that might not have happened, but you know, the ultimate thing is you still made that choice. And I think that is very beautiful in itself. You made that choice and you called upon the universe. It's it's that like, okay, that's it, universe. I in and of myself don't have what it takes anymore. You step up and you support me now. Like you step up and you start showing me something. Mm-hmm. And then being available to see it. Even if it is seeing a charger, like that's the universe showing up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I um and yeah, uh, I guess to kind of continue the story from that point as well, I, um, so yeah, essentially then was moved to Turkey. And at that point I had my charger back. I was able to charge my phone. Um, and there were kind of crazy moments um, where when we were out there where I had the teddy phone in my teddy bear, like my mom's mom would come to grab it and she never felt it. And like, I could feel it. And I was like, looking at like, like, is this like crazy? Like this is like honestly a miracle. This woman is holding something and doesn't feel that anything's in there. But I do, you know, it's, I mean, it was honestly incredible. Um, and from that point, I managed to get my dad to track me down. He was able to find me. And then we carried out another long kind of eight month court proceeding where my dad actually had me in Turkey Souls with him. And I actually just remember the first time when we kind of saw each other. It was, I think it'd been a good like year and a half to two years when we saw each other. And it felt so strange. I felt like this like almost alien, like alien sensation of hugging him again because it had just been so long. And um, I honestly, it's one of those like really vivid memories that I still remember now. Um, And from that point, we kind of, you know, planned a way to get out of there but during that time that we were there we kind of just led a life there in Turkey we you know I went ended up going to school for a bit you know we spent time together he was working like remotely which you know this was like way back in the day when you know (laughs) when remote working was like it wasn't a thing (laughs) yeah I know so you know he was having to still do business and like then rescue me and um and during this time as well there was amazing people that were involved you know MPs um people in parliament there was people involved um in the British embassy it was a big team of people who you know really kind of went above and beyond to get to where I'm now and I really credit to reunite which is a child abduction charity which helped a lot and yeah essentially through a lot of court proceedings my dad managed to get custody of me and then take me out of Turkey and bring me back to the UK um and that I was around kind of 10, 11 around then. So then kind of, I guess you kind of have the event and then there's the whole process of kind of rehabilitation, um, kind of rehab- like just learning how to do life, normal life again, because you've kind of gone through almost like a shock and you have to recover from that shock. And that in itself is, I would say long process. You know, when I came back, I was below the class and everything. I had like 10% in maths. I was like, you know, awful grades. And I remember, you know, my teacher saying, you know, you won't probably even get to university with that. Um, And I was lucky that my dad really pushed me. My grandmother really pushed me. And I had that support system in place, like from my dad's family that really got me, I think, back on track. I think if I didn't have that, I think that that would have been really hard. Mm. Um, And I think that is actually the problem that you see with a lot of kind of 
parent-child case is in that both parents are a little bit crazy <laughs> and then you kind of go from one crazy situation to another and the child never fully recovers um so I was very very blessed and um you know eventually I surrounded myself with um you know I classify myself as a Christian believer in Jesus and um I surrounded myself with people that uplifted me in that way and I've spoken in my church around this subject and been able to impact people and be like you really can turn your life around if you kind of put your mind to it um yeah and kudos to your father I, yeah, I just yes. want to say that as well you know I can't even imagine as a parent what he was going through um and and being resourceful yeah. enough to work remotely and and to do whatever it took to get you to safety um wow like kudos to dad thanks dad I think yeah no absolutely I think he was to some degree I think very lucky in that he was the founder of his own business he could kind of go if he wanted to and be wherever he wanted to um, but of course, you know, having to say to clients, I'm kind of in the middle of like a personal crisis, but I will be like doing work for you. But just like, and just, I think for me, his values that, you know, obviously I was a really young age, but he demonstrated exceptional values of strength and determination. He never gave up. Even when I remember my, apparently my grandmother said to him to give up, you know, don't pursue trying to get her out because you're just going to like drain yourself. Mm getting her out are impossible and there are many people that said that it was impossible for him but he never gave up and those values are things that I've really taken from wow so so (laughs) oh oh, and and I'm pausing because I also want this to sink in for the listeners I think that it's um I'm like you our stories is just our stories we've lived it it's kind of like yeah we've told it like a few times it's not impressive for us and so we sometimes don't allow for people to just take in and and allow them the opportunity to go what must it felt like as a child having Mm -hmm. compassion for the mother as well because she clearly was not in her right mind Mm -hmm. and doing whatever she thought was best from her very warped space um you know good people do bad things not making it okay but Mm -hmm. I'm at that stage of life where I can have compassion for all the players because from a spiritual perspective we understand the enormous pain that somebody like that is in mentally emotionally spiritually um to do crazy shits um Mm -hmm. you know allowing compassion for that allowing compassion for your dad's family in in how hard it must have been to support him and to see him go through that I've got two boys and I think I would go crazy if something like that had to happen to them and and I would want to protect them so there's so many players in my mind that I'm like kind of going to all of these spaces and going oh that's a lot like that's a lot that's a lot for a young girl It's a lot for a young soul to choose to go through as part mm. of a life journey, which had to have huge purpose. And then, of course, you were blessed with extraordinary beauty, physical beauty. And so do you want to talk about how you used that 
and mm. your life and bringing the two together and what happened next and so what's happening now yeah absolutely I guess you know with always struggles there's always the after story right which is either good or bad but in this case it's a happy ending <laughs> so, but uh yeah you know I think um from that process I think as I mentioned there was there was a long process of healing and I feel like with trauma you kind of go through I think three or four stages really there's kind of that post-traumatic stress there's kind of the the, the denial of it you know you kind of deny it that that ever happened I almost remember I deny that my mom did that and used to say to people who you know where is your mom you know we only see with your dad I was like oh she she died you know like she doesn't exist so I kind of just went through the phase of burying it in the ground then there was a phase of like acceptance and forgiveness so that's the phase of like you accept what's happened to you and then you forgive that person and that that is I think the hardest thing because to some degree that is the thing that I think releases you and heals you the most is that element of like imagining you're with your mom or whoever has hurt you and be like I forgive you for everything you've done and I choose to do that and I think that for me was like that moment of like complete healing and complete kind of turnaround in kind of the way I viewed my story and then the fifth four stages like the empowerment stage where you're kind of actually like this is something that's empowering and can impact someone else and change their life. Um, and actually, I did. Yeah. Sorry. So before we carry on, uh, Melissa, I want I wanted to touch on the forgiveness piece because here's why. I wouldn't mm. forgive for a long time. You know, I have my own story. I wouldn't forgive for a long time because I had a story running in the back of my head that if I forgave, it meant that I was okay with what happened and that I had to let that person back into my life. I was only ready to forgive when I finally understood that no it doesn't mean that I'm okay with what happened and it doesn't mean that I have to let you back into my life forgiveness is and you don't even have to say it to the person right it's it's an yeah. internal process that we get to go through and understand that it's the soul having a human experience and we're all co-creating our own evolution and each other's evolution. And sometimes our evolution comes through the most atrocious of mm. events. And so mm. we can forgive the soul because we can finally connect again to this person has a soul as well, a soul and the human identity, the human personality. We can forgive because we want to heal. It's a cleaning of the slate from our side, but it doesn't mean that they have to come back into our lives or that we are saying we're okay with what you did. It's not that. And I feel like it's important for people to get this because there's so much resistance to forgiveness. And forgiveness is not about that person. It's about you wiping the clean slate clean for yourself so that you go, forgive you. It is what it was. I clean it between us so that I can move forward in love. What did it take for you to get to a stage of, I'm ready to forgive because now I understand it's about me. It's not even about you. Mm, yeah, you know, absolutely spot on with everything you said, I think you know you can definitely as I call it like forgiving someone at a distance <laughs> because you know some people you have to 
you know, you can forgive them, but you can't have them enter into your life again. And that it's a hard, it's a hard thing to grasp, but you, it's also sometimes for the best. Um, and sometimes you have to also think about and protect yourself, which is extremely important to do as well. Um, and I guess for me, the process of it, wow. Um, it's, uh, it's a very, it was a very hard process. I think I had to go through several kind of, uh, 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 rounds of it, if you know what I mean, rounds of kind of forgiveness, because, um, essentially what drove me to it was to some degree, my faith, you know, it's to some degree, well, if we look at all world faiths, you know, they all are very difficult, you know, it's hard to be a Christian, it's hard to be a Muslim, it's hard to be, um, whatever faith you are, but I think in particular, the Christian faith is so countercultural, you would think that I shouldn't have forgave her because she did all these bad things to me right like why should why should she even be forgiven but that's I think the beauty of the Jesus story is that a man dies on the cross to take on those things and to forgive all of humanity so if that can happen then I should be able to humble myself and forgive my mom so I think it's that like that was what drove me to kind of be like look I'm gonna forgive her um, and I'm going to release this. And I, I think there's such beauty in kind of almost like releasing it um, and letting it go. Um, and I think you can only do that through forgiveness. And whatever your methodology is, it's still kind of at the heart the same thing uh, for everyone. It's that kind of core thing of you're releasing, you're letting it go. It's it's the point of true liberation. And I feel like if if we can understand this forgiveness is you no longer have power over me yeah that's actually what forgiveness is because yeah. until we forgive our perpetrators have power over us because we have to blame them we have to we have to be afraid of them we have to be angry at them so they are still consuming our thoughts they're still consuming our energy even though they're carrying on with their lives we have literally given our power to them and forgiveness is liberation of that process it's about oh no 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 you you don't take up any more space in my mind you don't take up any more space in my energy or in my heart yeah. i forgive and release you and in that i take full power and ownership of me again you you have nothing over me anymore such mm. a powerful process when we start understanding that mm. Mm. absolutely and I was I guess to some degree as well on a practical level of course there's the the act of forgiving someone and I think afterwards as well I was told to like almost kind of do like affirmations almost over that being like okay affirm like you know that uh, you know declare that over yourself being like okay I forgive my mom for this, this and this. So I had kind of a process of more of a structured forgiveness routine. <laughs> kind of having kind of always like these declarations I was saying every day being like, okay, I forgive this, this and this. God forgives this, this and this. I do this and this. So there was an element of kind of more structured healing and structured kind of um, kind of trying to restore myself in that way. Um, yeah. <laughs> Then you took back your power and you went on to one of the greatest stages 
<laughs> yes, yeah. So yeah, so as I mentioned, obviously I then went through my empowerment phase and um when I was at university, um well after university, sorry, I was in my kind of year out um and had kind of a dream to do like Miss Universe. Um, the competition and um, I remember watching this video of this lady so I follow this lady on social media called Zenia Tushamidva and she is a, a kind of a, an influencer I would say and um, but she came from like very humble background you know very small family didn't really have like lots of money but she really paved a career for herself and she made her own narrative um, and her own story which was beautiful and she went on to um, represent I think it was Sweden um, in their Miss Universe um, uh, well I think she got on to the I think she won came runner-up sorry in the Miss um, Switzerland sorry I'm getting it wrong Miss Switzerland finals I think um, and then she then moved to London um, and started her like um, banking career then set up her own company so I watched her TED talk and she talked about kind of this importance of kind of stepping out of your comfort zone, sharing your story and empowering other people. And I was like, okay, I think I want to be like her and I'm going to like enter something like she's entered. Cause I draw a lot of parallels between her life and my life. I was like, I'm just going to do it. So I had this like funny obsession <laughs> with this, like with doing this thing. And everyone was like, asking me, like, where does this come from? And I was like, I just watched a TED talk. And that, like, really inspired me. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's it's so, like, random. And then um, I would just started, well, I was in my second year at Cambridge. And I entered the Miss Universe GB competition. And I got through to the finals. And it was actually during kind of COVID time as well. So it's a really weird time. Um, and during that kind of period of kind of going up to the competition I very much my whole kind of advocacy was about well a parent chapter abduction but also be about helping women um, you know people raise their voices because I think we do live in a culture where especially certain topics are very much taboo you know I think I think of things like even rape or more sexual assault and things like that they're very hard things to be very vocal about and I think we need to kind of normalize that because that's where healing begins is when you talk and when you vocalize your emotions because that's what kind of also happened with me like the moment I internalize it that almost destroys someone because you kind of have to it's only you that can kind of deal with it but that never is enough um yeah and to talk from a healed space you know, I feel like there's a, there's a responsibility that comes from where we talk and where on our journey we are when we talk. So when we talk publicly, my, my beliefs are, we do it from a space of we've done the work, we've healed, and now we share. When we are going through it, our responsibility is to find the sacred space held for us to talk and to share and to work through our things. I think sometimes what we see is a lot of women who are not healed speaking out very loudly in, in spaces and you can feel the anger, you can feel the fear, you can feel the resentment coming through. And yes, it stokes people up because they're passionate, but I don't think that's the answer. You know, for me, the answer is a woman comes gracefully 
and certainly and and confidently and grounded and go I lived through rape mm -hmm. here's what I chose after this is who I chose to become because it was an event and I refused to define myself to identify myself because of an event that happened in my life but this is how it's made me stronger right and and so I do agree we need to start talking more about the taboo subjects not because we want to convince people about things not because we want to change their minds not because we want to drive our personal agenda but it's mm. time for us to start understanding and honoring the fact that we're all having a very human experience and it's not all rainbows and sunshine and mm. the more we can start talking again the more we can start going it's okay, whatever you're going through, it doesn't mean that you're broken or faulty or that it's your fault or any of those things. Let's start talking about the things that are happening so that mm. people can stop feeling so isolated and as though something is defaulted within them that they are now going through all of this. It's very isolating, mm. it's very horrible to go through something and thinking it's just me it's just yeah. me I can't speak about it yeah absolutely and I really resonate as well with what you said about like you know people that speak from a heal non not healed place but they often I find they kind of project their internal like anger or their internal hurt onto their audience yes. and I think to some degree I think you have to I think in yourself be very self-aware of that because even myself I found that when I was initially talking like at the very beginning about this I think I found that um I necessarily wasn't 100% healed and there were some things that I think even then I was like mm, I think this is something that I need to forgive on and I need to work on because I don't quite feel that I I felt that I projected that hurt onto my audience yeah. or onto someone I was talking to because yeah I think there's it's very like it's hard it's a very like it's you might think that you're healed but then actually you might project and you realize that actually there's still some things to work through so it's reaching I think that point of like when you share your story that your audience feel empowered and they're able to see it, I think as an inspiring thing because I think when you talk about it from a non-healed place you're more of a victim than a victor and I think you want to be the victor one, the person that's come over and above that. Whereas when you're talking about it from non-healed, you're the victim, aren't you? So that's that's the way I think of it. <laughs> so how does a little girl with a telephone teddy bear feel standing on the stage of Miss Universe? Yeah, absolutely terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had like, I had a nervous toilet break a few times. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah jokes aside it it honestly I think was the scariest thing I've ever done in my life I didn't kind of necessarily you know I had a very academic background I was very comfortable with like being very academic and kind of nerdy and kind of you know sharing my like you know very academic uh kind of views on life and politics but you know going on stage and you know sharing what I've been through and um was scary you know it is something that requires a lot of you know as I mentioned a lot of fearlessness um and I think that's where I really got to live out those two things of being bold and being fearless because mm. I kind of 
said, you know, F you, I don't care what other people think. I'm going to just like share this and I'm going to inspire people. Um, and if some people don't like it, that's their problem, but I'm going to go do it. So that was kind of the, the mindset. And yeah. So I have a cheeky question because as somebody who's never partaken in any of these beauty pageants, as, as m- most of us, right? <laughs> Not yeah. a lot of people participate in them. There's, there's two stories that is told to the rest of humanity. The one is that it's a group of highly competitive women who is like, it's only about the crown. And then there's sometimes the story of, no, no, this is a bunch of really passionate, heart-centered women who come together for their causes. And it is supportive and collaborative and in the spirit and harmony of women yeah what was your experience was it feisty fierce competitive or is this where women actually really get to support each other and and form close bonds and relationships and everybody is a winner even though there's only one crown yeah the the very good question I think you know these things are important to talk about um I will be honest I'm very mixed so um, I would say that even before I entered the competition, I was very hot and cold. So I had moments where I was like, is this actually for me? Is this not? But I'm very glad I did it because in that in the year, the group that I had, I think they were extremely inspiring women. Um, there was actually one lady who did it in a wheelchair. Um, and I think that was like incredible. I mean, they really pushed the limits that show. So I think, but that being said, there were some girls who were that kind of competitive type. Uh, so there were some people that were like, I would say probably 80% of people I met were genuinely really nice people. And they were women that had charities who were, of course, you know, aesthetically very beautiful as well. And I think this could be like the judgment that I think people can make initially. And I, even I made sometimes I was like, okay, she's got like this kind of body. This must mean that like, she's really stupid and stuff like that. But that's not true. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so even even myself I'm a victim of my own (laughs) that's a huge one right she's really beautiful so therefore she can't be really intelligent um she must be very superficial how much time does she spend doing her hair and her makeup and posing for photos and and the reality is it's time for us to re-embrace beauty and an appreciation of beautiful women I look at beautiful women and go oh my god you have so much discipline to take that amount of time to look after your hair and your makeup and your dress and your all of this and I don't look like this every day <laughs> because I'm a, I love doing sports so for me being active is more important than being really well dressed and made up you know mm. it is what it is and it's it's the lifestyle that I choose mm. how and and I feel like especially in that environment we can see the worst or the best come out of women. One of my missions at the moment is to restore trust between women because especially high achieving women, I feel even in business, don't really trust each other. We haven't yet learned how to collaborate and co-create. We still have a very competitive mindset in business as strong achieving women. How do you think we can start doing it better, Melissa? Mm. How do you see we can start doing it better as women? 
This might be my Einstein moment. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think it's so true. I think this is actually a, a real problem, deep rooted. It's not a man's problem. I feel like men don't have this problem. I feel like this is definitely a woman's thing. Um, I think a lot of it comes from comparison. I feel like it's deep rooted comparison that I think, um, and to some degree as well, this ties in a little bit with beauty pageants in that, you know, it's easy to go into that competition and be like, I'm going to compare myself, but you'll absolutely kill yourself in doing that. You can, this is what actually is so great about it, that you can go in there and you don't, you should not absolutely compare yourself, but view that other person you're looking at as the source of inspiration, you know, um, and what can you take from them? And I think the key thing I think is to address comparison because from that we could then collaborate because the moment you get rid of comparison, you're able to work better and understand each other um and to some degree as well that's ties in a little bit I think with our social media age of kind of looking on Instagram this person has this I don't have this or even with like on LinkedIn I think LinkedIn can be pretty bad as well to be honest with you um so I think the key is delves in from our own I think internal insecurities um of comparison and I think the moment we get rid of that I think we solve all our problems <laughs> because the comparison is always on the external stuff right we don't know what's really yeah. going on inside a, another woman and I feel like on the inside we all have beauty we all have strength we all have insecurities we all have our ups and we all have our downs and if we can just stop getting past the wow well what does this look like and and you know what does she have what does she not have how is she better than me how is she worse than me if we can just get past that i'll say just, we need to stop minding our own business quite frankly and just go i really want to get to know this person the person not what they're doing the person and that takes time it takes time and it takes dedication and it takes some perseverance to really get to know somebody and build a friendship but if we could start as women getting back to basics getting back to connecting I think we could we could turn this world around but it's going to take some time absolutely it it's it is quite amazing in that I think yeah women are so different to men in that way I often like talk to my boyfriend about this kind of stuff and it's just like the well, the view is so different. It's like, I feel like men don't compare at all. They're just like, they're just like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> they're just like, you know, he's doing great. That's fine. Whereas like, <laughs> whereas like women are like, oh my God, like, what are you wearing? What are you doing? They're like, <laughs> it's just like extra like brain energy that we use on, on such unnecessary stuff. <laughs> Now, speaking of time, I am quite aware of the fact that we've been talking for quite some time and there's so much more that I wanted to delve into with you, but I also trust the process. So I want to wrap this up by asking Melissa, what is it that you take an unapologetic stance for in the world? Mm. Mm. I think for me, my unapologetic stance would be, yeah, to share my story in a way that empowers other people. 
um and whatever they think or whatever they take from it then that's you know something that I can do to help them and help them be better people and help them um see the world you know differently or perhaps even impact them um in a meaningful way I actually even tonight before I had this call shared this story with a friend of mine who was going through a very difficult somewhat similar situation but in a relationship sense but yeah she took a lot from my story and I think yeah Am I right in saying that you are getting ready for another Miss Universe? Uh, no. Not? Not this year. I decided not this year that my focus would be on other things. Okay. What is the focus on? Just cheekily going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I recently, well, recently finished my master's um, degree uh, from Cambridge, as I mentioned. So my future goal is, well, either to start a company or uh, get a job. <laughs> so two of those things is kind of <laughs> on my start horizon. A company or get a job. I mean, yeah, two very different life choices to make. And uh, yeah. So many people to introduce you to either way that you go. So we should have another conversation. Darling, thank you. This was amazing. Um, thank you. Really. <laughs> I have so much admiration for you for choosing to use your voice. I don't want to say in a powerful way. I think that word is almost overused. And I think that it doesn't do justice to the grace with which you use your voice and sometimes as women we are more potent when we are graceful than when we try to be powerful mm. Mm. i love that i i totally agree <laughs> i'm powerful in though that is a... <laughs> yes, yes strong powerful yeah yeah but i think that there's a lot to be said for grace and um it's something that's as as a gender a lot of us have lost along the way because of our struggle and because of our um, wanting to be strong all the time and wanting to be motivational all the time and yeah subtlety and grace has mm. always been one of the fundamental feminine gifts um mm that we have brought to this world and I just feel like women like you are bringing that back and so for that I want to say thank you no well thank you for having me it's been a real pleasure to all our listeners well I know this was a long one but I am so much so much to take away from this episode if you are going through any form of struggle right now I hope that you will take courage from the story that Melissa so beautifully shared with us today. And I want you to always remember there's something that brings the universe, God, your angels, whatever you believe in, to rise up to meet you the moment that you choose not to die and the moment you choose to surrender and say, I, in and of myself, cannot go on, you, you step up for me. And God, the universe, always does. 
but you have to be open and willing to see it as well. Miracles happen in the tiniest of things. It could be listening to this podcast today. This could have been your miracle. It could be seeing somebody else with a charger. It could be seeing Melissa's post on Instagram. Whatever it is, you'll feel it. You'll feel it. And it's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about us starting to feel again instead of suppressing our emotions because they're such beautiful guides for us. And we are missing out on the majority of our guidance in life when we attempt to numb the pain or attempt to numb ourselves through whatever medium. Okay, I'm going to get off my, my soapbox now. This has been a long enough episode. Thank you for joining us. Have an amazing day further. And never forget, we get to live our legacies unleashed, unlimited, and unapologetic. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at The Unapologetic Woman and on LinkedIn at L Naj. And if you're interested in experiencing the Unapologetic Woman Friendwork Soiree, book in for our next open meeting at unapologetic-women.as.me forward slash unapologetic. Thanks again and I'll see you next week.